Welcome back to another episode of Dropping the Gloves. We're going to do something a little bit different this time. This is the best of. So we're looking back at our years of interviews and all the dozens and dozens of players that we've, that we've talked to. And we made it like a highlight reel of the funniest moments, the most insightful clips. We're going to laugh. We're going to cry. We're going to take a trip down memory lane. I'm going to mostly let the, the audio speak for itself. I'm going to speak as little as possible. I'll pop in every so often to add context or just introduce certain segments. But for the most part, I'm just going to let it fly. So I hope you enjoy it. I know we had fun making it. And we're going to get started on the lighter side with some funny stuff. We have Brady Kachuk talking about how he hates everyone except his teammates. We have uh, Mike Brown's best Phil Kessel story. We have Tyler Ennis talking about how good he thought he was until he skated with Matthews and McDavid. And a fun story from Patrick Kane talking about a two-on-one that he had with John. So we're going to kick it off with that. And, uh, yeah, I'll be back soon. Here we go. So we'll, we'll just jump in right there. You've been fighting a lot this year. Who, who is a guy who you just want to get your hands on? and really ragdoll him because when I was playing, there was a few guys who I just wanted to grab. Is there anybody who gets under your skin? Well, I, I it's not really guys that it's a coach. Me. No, there's no coach. I like despise me. Just, I just don't like pretty much everybody. I mean, that's just, it's the name of the game. I just, I just like my teammates and, and anybody else that's free on our way. We're going to go through you. So it doesn't really matter who I, you are. I love that. So are you a guy who after the game is shaking hands with your buddies on the other team? Cause I, I tried to hate every fighter. I knew I was going to fight. I didn't want to be your buddy afterwards. Do you just like, let's grab a drink later. Or are you just all business all the time? Yeah. I mean, I, it's crazy just with Matthew and uh, we have so many connections about who guys we played with and you know, close in age who are friends with everybody. So it's tough. You know, some, some games, some teams you'll talk to guys after, but, um, or if it's a road trip in a normal year, you'll you know hang out with them outside the rink. But you know, this year it's been weird, and yeah, I mean, like I think I've listened to it before. It's, it's like kind of the new thing that you know everybody's kind of buddies and, and kind of not a lot of that anger. But if it's a guy I fought, usually a guy I don't know, so we'll, we'll never really talk to him on the ice or after the game. Funny thing with uh, you mentioned Kessel and, and Carlisle. I got a uh, I got a funny story of when. Cause I'd played for Carlisle in, uh, in Anaheim. So yeah. I'd already known and, and actually Lupo was there too. And I, I played with, uh, played with Lupo in, in Anaheim for Carlisle. And when the talk about, when the talk came about Carlisle and, and a handful of coaches coming in that were going to take over, I remember me, we actually, we were, uh, we were at dinner and, uh, I was with Lupo and I think Kessel was there too. And, and we were joking about Carlisle and we were messing with Kessel because he's a guy that doesn't want to play for a guy like that. And I remember the entire, I think he was sweating more than I was on the plane. I think he should, his nickname should have been Pitsy that night because I swear we were giving it to him so bad about what, what he was going to be in for and, and the bike club and the fat club and, and how he was going to have to work in practice and how long practices were and all this stuff. And all I can remember from uh, that came out of Phil's mouth. And I still remember this like till the day is buddy, I'm just not going to do it. <laughs> and he, just, he looks at all of us he looks at us and he just goes and he goes buddy i don't i don't care what he says i just don't care i'm just not gonna do it and i'm just gonna play my i'm just i don't care i'm not gonna work out and if he care i'm not gonna do it 
<laughs> and, and what do you know uh carlisle comes in and and uh and i i don't know if they uh because i wasn't there long long after that so i don't know how they uh i don't know how they got along or, or didn't get along but it was uh it was man we had him we had him on his uh we had him on the edge of his seat for, for oh, a couple of days I, sure. I, I still remember that video of uh they did like uh lead up to one of those outdoor games and Randy Carlisle came in the the locker room, the, the lounge and said something to Phil and Phil's like, good one, Randy. <laughs> <laughs> just, that's, just, that's it right there. That's it in a nutshell. But um, yeah, there's so many guys that are just like, like, like you said, Matthews, the first time I skated with him was crazy. Like he's, he's so big and strong. He's got hands like Patty Kane, like shoots it so hard. Did and then Patty obviously- Coletta. <laughs> yeah, Patty Coletta. <laughs> He's got hands like Patty Coletta. Um, <laughs> no, but uh, and then and then Connor. Connor's just yeah. absurd. It's not even doesn't even make sense. So you because like, like I remember like I, that's I was known for like being skilled, and then yeah. I'm out here like with Connor, and I'm like, this is what is this? This isn't a human being. I'll be on the fourth line now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's why. This is why I'm on the fourth that's, line. Now. Okay, I get it. Yeah, that's right. Now I understand what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, he's not even human. It's nuts. I know. They used to cheer when I jumped on the ice, the opposing teams. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, do you remember uh, we, uh, we, were, we were playing St. Louis and we were up like five to one and me and you got a two on one and like there was no way I was shooting the puck. Yeah, and I tried to make a saucer <laughs> pass, and it just got tipped by the defenseman. And it like, made or something. Yeah, yeah, something. Yeah, it got blocked. And you were so like you were just like staring me down. You're so mad. I mean, I was just crushed. Like I couldn't feed you for the tent. Well, the guy but, can put the puck through like a hole in the wall fifty feet away, but he can't feed me a pass on a two on one. I was oh, like, you got to no. be kidding me. I was I get- like, like, there's no way I was shooting that puck. And I was just thinking of any way to get it to you, and I couldn't do it. So, so disappointing. I, was, I know. I was a little upset. I yeah. know. I probably iced you out a little bit. My bad. My Good bad. memories. Good memories. Good stuff. I like playing with you, Kenny. You're good. If there's one thing that all hockey fans can agree upon, it's that Brock Besser is one handsome dude. Here's JT Miller and Tyler Myers talking about his good looks. You know, I have a theory with Vancouver, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I talked to Tyler Myers about this. I've skated with this player in the summer when I when I played. Um, is it distracting to play with Brock Besser because he's so handsome? Does it take you off your game when you're jumping off the bench, on the bench, and you kind of look away from the play because he's just so hypnotizing with his looks? Can you just, you know, what's that like to play with somebody who's just so damn handsome? Uh, you know what? I, I'm harder on him probably than anybody on the team. So on and off the ice. And I try to tell him ugly as many times as I can. So <laughs> <laughs> the with the young guys these days, the last thing you need is more air in the tires pumping them up. So I am uh, I'm fully degrading and breaking him down just to keep him level to sea level as much as I possibly can. So, but no, he's, we all know he's a good looking cat. That's the only thing I'm going to give him. I'm not going to give him anything more. Oh, that's too good. Jealousy is the highest form of flattery, JT. That's all I'll say. Is Brock Besser the most handsome man in the NHL? (laughs) You know, you've obviously seen the uh, Prince Charming comparisons. 
I have not. I, I skated with him in the summer for a few years when he was in high school. He would come out. There was this kid with the cage on just lighting a lamp. And then he would take his bucket off. And I'd be like, this is not fair. <laughs> like, he's absolutely gorgeous. Like, he's just, he's one of those guys who just like, I'm straight. But when he walks into a room, I'm like, you know what? Not maybe. <laughs> I have to like question myself real quick. I'm like, no, 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 no. I got six kids. I'm straight. I'm straight. But he's just, you know, he's just a handsome dude. So you probably remember that story that broke last year about Nathan McKinnon and how intense he was about his diet, his exercise and eating regimen, the nutrition stuff. Um, and how he forced his teammates to eat a certain way and didn't allow certain foods in the in the kitchen and in the locker room and all that. Um, and it just so happened a few weeks after that story broke, we brought on Ryan Graves, who played with him uh, for years in Colorado. And we got his take on that. And he said it was mostly blown out of proportion, but there was some truth to it. So here's what he had to say. So you, you played with Nikita Zdorov. I played with Zdorov in Buffalo. Did you see what he said about your, your ex-captain? Oh, captain, yeah, my did. captain. What was your initial thoughts on that? Everyone's talking about it, good, bad, and the other. What did you think? Is it Was it true? Was it just like, oh, he's talking, he doesn't know what he's talking about? What, what, give us the lowdown. Um, I saw it. I, I hope people don't take it out of context because um, Nate is one of the hardest working and one of the most caring teammates that I've ever had. He wants you to succeed and um, and – he's definitely intense and um, the way he looks at things and the way he treats his body and um, the way he wants you to get most of the years. Um, it, um, I mean, that part, it, it's true how, how seriously he takes his craft and um, how hard he works. Um, but I hope it's not taken out of context that people think he's always yelling at guys and, and he's an asshole out there. And, uh, and he's like, people don't like him and things like that. Cause people really like him and he's, he's caring <laughs> and uh, like he'll work with you and stuff like that. Like, I mean, I, I go over to Halifax and stay with him in the summer and um, he and I are buddies and um, like, he'd come on the ice with me like early sometimes. And I mean, you can get out there and he'll help you help you with things and kind of give you a little pointers and, and things like that where um, it's not so much that he's um, like, he's not shitting on you. He's just, uh, he's, wants everyone to do their best and um yeah like i said i hope it's not taken out of context because he's <laughs> honestly a, a good teammate and he's he's the engine that can drive a team and um it's it's why he's so good he works so hard at it i mean you see him coming to the league his first few years he didn't have the numbers that people thought he was gonna and the production that or the player that people thought he was gonna be right away and uh, i mean he worked at it he worked hard he changed his diet and if you talk to him about it, he changed the way he looked at the game and um He's he's very uh, meticulous in the way his training and his skating and his diet and um, yeah he's uh, he's he's a really true pro and um, I'm sure that term gets used a lot but uh, no he and I stay in touch and um, he's uh, he's a good dude. So I should go buy stock and chickpeas now? Is that what you're saying? Everyone's gonna <laughs> all we got to do to be McKinnon and just eat chickpeas and don't eat Alfredo sauce? I'll tell you what, I was on a team that didn't have Alfredo sauce for the pregame meals. It's the worst team I've ever been on. I was like, give me some Alfredo. Did, did, did stuff like that ever irk you? It's like, yo, Nathan, I'd like to have a Diet Coke with my meal. And he's like, no, we're not. Is, is Honestly, that over-exaggerated? Like, did you have anything other than, like, the best electrolytes and water in your locker room? Like, it's exaggerated. Um, 
honestly, it, it changed the, it changed. It's more of a culture that he's created there. Um, it's not that guys are um, like want that stuff and he won't allow them. He, he's changed the culture that nobody even wants that stuff. People uh, are seeing how, how he performs and how much energy he has. And um, I mean, even myself, I've switched <laughs> to chickpea pasta. And, you did. Uh, yes, so yeah, funny. I did. And, and no sauce on it and uh, what? veggies with it. And uh, just trying to give oh. yourself the, the most energy possible. And, uh, and it's not like that at all. I mean, we have, we deserve a post game and things okay. like that. I mean, it's not a, it's not a prison at all. Like there's, it's, it's what you want. It's more that he's just created a culture and, um, made guys aware of um, the tools that he's had to show him what what will help him perform at his best. He's just sharing the tools that, um, that he's had at his availability and um, everyone else has kind of bought into it. And it's something that I'll bring with me that um, I'll continue to eat that way and treat my body that way. So if you go into the first pregame meal with the devils and you see Nico Hershire dumping Alfredo, Little bacon bits, ranch on the salad. Are you just going to shake your head and shame them? Are you going to – what's going to happen? Are you going to flip the table I'm not table sure that over? happens anymore. I, I know that maybe 10 years ago the guys were hammering Alfredo for free game, but I don't, I don't think that's happened much anymore. There's I think, no Alfredo? The game's changed. I mean, there might be. I don't know. But uh, I don't think that too many guys are doing that now. Guys take it so seriously and um, – are taking every advantage they can with their training, their diet, um, their recovery, things like that. Um, I, I'd be oh. – there's a lot of guys that are um, on that same, same wavelength. We would get some ranch and a little hot sauce and put them in a little coffee cup, and we would dip our chicken in it and stuff. And uh, it was just – it was a free-for-all. <laughs> it was so great. I don't know. Oh, that sounds awful. What? Well, after the game, do the boys have beers on the bus at least? Is there a – Two four in the yeah. back on ice, and you have. A I mean, it's available if you want it. Um, I mean, it was tough this year with that schedule. Um, honestly, there, was, there wasn't many guys reaching for them. It was. Oh. Um, it, honestly, the schedule this year was so tough that, um, like everyone after games, like you're, there's no break in it where you're having, um, a, like a day or like more than a day between games, and you're coming off back to backs and things like that. So you don't need to get um, wasted, Ryan. You just have a couple of casuals on the way to the I airport. Know that, yeah, I know it's happened. It's the same as everybody else. <laughs> we, I was in charge when I didn't play, which happened a lot. Literally, all the guys between periods, and I would get asked at least three to four times a game, like, "Hey." You got the beers on the bus? I'm like, yes, I have the beers on the bus. So like, if we were in, if we were in Edmonton, it's a long drive to the airport. They're like, hey, we should probably get two cases. Do you got two cases? I'm like, yes, we have. Be-. Like literally, every three or four guys would come up and ask me, Jumbo, we got any Coors Light? I love Coors Light after a game, Johnny. You know that. And so it would just, I'm just, I hope it's still a part of the game because you guys with your chickpea and your this and that, I got to keep it, keep it together. One of the, the recurring themes that comes up on these interviews is just talking about what it takes to get to the NHL. Because obviously there are so many talented players in the AHL, in the, the minor league system, in juniors. And for whatever reason, there are certain guys that, that aren't able to or aren't willing to adjust their game where they're not good enough to make that next leap based on skill alone. And the guys that 
are able to carve out NHL careers for themselves are guys that are willing to add different things to their game to swallow their pride and maybe a little bit of ego and do the do the harder things that gets them on an NHL roster that makes them stand out from the other guys they're competing against. Um, so we talked to Paul Bissonnette, we talked to Patrick Coletta, and we talked to Michael Pizzetta, all guys that maybe might not have made it to the NHL if they hadn't done certain things and added certain pieces to their game. And it's cool to get their perspective on, you know, how frustrating it can be to watch other guys who have the talent aren't willing to take those necessary steps, and that's why they don't make the NHL. So I'm going to play three in a row here. Here we go. What's crazy to me is how many of them refuse to maybe take on a few other bits of the role in order to get to the next level. Like they're all, they've all been these skill guys their whole life who have all these skills and they can move fast. And they're like, they're most of them are big now too. I mean, I know little guys get chances, but I mean, there's these six, one, six, two guys are moving around like that. So it's like, okay, you can't be in a top six role, learn how to penalty kill, be willing to get in front of shots, uh, be a little bit more physical, maybe get a little bit more yappy and be willing to shed your mitts. And to, and, to, and to be that guy nowadays, if you fight like seven times a year, they're like, oh, this guy's willing to step up for his teammates. So it's not even that hard of a task. Where I mean, John, you could attest to this. Before, if you wanted to do it, you had to be like uh, Dorsett. Yeah. That guy in the American League was probably a buck 80 and was scrapping heavies every night. And he so was starting said, to chip yep. in offensively. In order to get to the next level, he had to add killing penalties, having a chip on his shoulder, being in everyone's face, and eating punches from heavies for 30 yep. games a year. Yeah. And, and Brandon he made Frost, it. There's a few guys who did Frosty, that. Brandon Frost did that for a while. Frosty was a lightweight, and he had to fight all the big boys. That's, that's the thing I say to all these kids. I'm like, the guys I played with on the third and fourth line, in juniors, they put up 50 goals. They were the best players on their junior team. And they, they – realize they weren't going to make it in the first line and they just transition their game. Then you go to the AHL, those guys scored 50 goals in juniors. They just don't want to do it. They don't have it in them. They don't have it, the guts or the drive to be like, I'm going to jump. And, and, and we are also getting to that level of, I don't want to say entitlement, but it's a lot softer nowadays than it used to be. Yeah. So even in the American league, this would have been hammered into them where they would be like, hey, and, and, and they would always, I find even still the good teams is they draft to what they're going to mold that player into. A majority of these teams now, they kind of just throw it at the wall and hopefully it sticks. Whereas if you got you to be able to see something and say, hey, I think this guy is going to be a good third-line center. I, I, he, he does it well enough and he can add enough offense at that level. He's got a good brain on him. We can, you know, I think we got a third-line center here. Whereas well, I, I don't, nuts, yeah. yeah, so it's 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 a lot of teams throwing the wall and hopefully hoping it sticks. But well, that's also kind of the way the game's going a little bit too now, where these guys, even when they get to the American League, most of them just go right to the NHL now and get power play and all this. When when we were playing in the American League, even if you were a skilled guy, when you got to the A, you'd be on like the third or fourth line, and you wouldn't yeah. get special teams. It didn't matter. You had to earn that ice time, and I think that. I, I think that a, 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 a nice mixture of both is a, is a good little concoction. Well, when I was in the A, when I got sent down at the end of my career, it was frustrating to see these guys with these unbelievable hands. They were just all-world talents, first-round guys. I'm just like, man, you could be so good if you just only knew what you had to do. And I would sit them down and like, listen, if you want to play in the NHL, you got to do this, this, and this. And they couldn't do it. They would not lower themselves 
to that point, they said, no, if I go, I'm going to be on the power play. I'm going to be doing this first line. They couldn't, yeah. they couldn't get it through their head to be like, no. And now they're in the A. There was a few guys in, uh, gosh, in St. John's were like that. The, the, the reason I said accountability too is, is it's, it's very easy and you see it quite often is it's the, oh, it's the coach. Oh, it's the coach. Oh, it's the coach. And it's just like, yeah. okay, well, you're on your fourth team. Like, I don't know. Is it the yeah. coach? With Pat Coletta. Some would say the most hated man in hockey for a good five years, Pat. Would you disagree? <laughs> no, I would say uh, I definitely did uh, did my job. And you are right, uh, right up there with uh, that comment. So I've, uh, besides Buffalo, Rochester, maybe some Southern Ontario, anywhere outside of that is uh, – not so, not so nice for me. I would say a good portion of the, the continent of North America, maybe 99% of it, if they saw you, they would spit at you or take a swing. Do you I, like having that reputation? Is that fun? You know, it's not – now that I'm getting a little bit older, it's not so much fun. But uh, I think during uh, – when you play uh, and you have that reputation, it's almost good because that means you're doing your job, right? So – Yep. Um, it's almost funny too to still see some comments coming in asking about you know me turtling or doing things the way I did them. I'm still sort of aggravating people when I'm not even playing. So well, it is funny. We usually do. We throw out if we're going to interview somebody, we ask the Twitterverse. You know, any questions, any thoughts? Usually, we get two or three people be like, "Oh, ask me about this." Like hundreds of people chimed in because you're just so polarizing so it does say a lot about the impact you had on a game for a guy who you know was in and out of the lineup at the end of his career and this and that up and down like I was you you affected a lot of people (laughs) yeah I mean good and bad I guess right but like uh like you know sometimes you know when you get in you get the opportunity to play in the NHL um you know I I scored goals when I was younger Uh, you know I had more impact uh, that sort of way in the game but you have to find your way to get to the NHL, right? And yep. coming in, uh, our team, you know, my first year, uh, President's Trophy, that sort of stuff. Like, I'm not going to crack the top even nine, let alone, you know, uh, being on a fourth line. Um, so whatever you need to do to, to navigate to get to that point is what had to happen. And I am lucky enough I had the knack to, one, aggravate people, two, to sort of hit and pick and choose, you know, when I wanted to do it. And I did that effectively. So that was sort of the knack that got me into the NHL. And then once you're there, you have to continue to do so in order to stay there. Yeah. I I always, gosh, I remember playing against you in the AHL with Rochester. I was with Houston. And did you, you were such a big hitter. I think I asked you to fight one game. Well, I was going to get to that. (laughs) So we'll just jump in right now. So, Patty, I, I was chasing you around all game because you were just a heat-seeking missile out there. And I, I, I had had enough. I was like, this, you know, I'm going to dummy this kid. And so I'm like, let's go, Coletta. I'm like, let's go. And you turned around like, yeah, yeah, let's go. Let's do it. And so I rip my gloves. I throw them across the ice. And you just go, you dummy. And you turn around and skate it away. <laughs> <laughs> is that true, Pat? Oh, it's, it's 100% true. I'm not an idiot. Like – I mean, some people would say I am, but listen, like, uh, it works out good because I was drafted to Buffalo and Rochester, right? Those are my two teams growing up. Um, in the grand scheme of things to fight a guy like John 
uh, with his one size, two, his reputation of, of fighting and stuff like that. Like, I know exactly what I'm doing. I'm not, I would get my butt kicked. Um, but for, for me and my teams, I would do anything, whether it be something like that or block a shot with my face or whatever it is. So I almost went overboard a little bit with some of that stuff with, I played so hard for my Buffalo teams that I would do anything and still, you know, sort of would do anything for my teams. But 100%, I wasn't going to fight him. I, you know. How, how often did you find yourself in a situation where you're like, I really don't want to fight this guy. I know I'm going to lose, but it's what the boys need, so I'm going to do it. Yeah, a, co- a couple times it did. And, uh, you know, you get into – we joke about the turtling stuff, right? But in my eyes, if I could take one of their players off the ice and put Van Nick, Pominville, Tim Conley, Breer, Drury, like one of those guys on the ice for a power play – I'm going to take my odds with that any day of the week. So th- there's been a couple times. I mean, I fought Lucic. Uh, you know, I, I was swinging. And, you know, that's what I do. I try to hit them before they hit me, and that's the way I go about fighting. There's no secret. Um, I make sure it's on my terms. Um, but, yeah, I fought Lucic, and, he, you know, he definitely, you, if you watch the video, he definitely, you know, pummeled me a little bit. But I got up and got the fans going and, and stuff like that. So, uh John, you can probably agree. It's not always winning the fight. It's just showing up to, to the fight and showing that, you know, you're not going to be a pushover or, or things like that. And that, that motivates your team. Not necessarily for me. I had to win every fight. If I lost, it was a huge upset. And people were like, whoa. Like, remember I got beat up by Justin Johnson last game of the year. I didn't even want to fight. And everyone was like, oh, my gosh. Like, this is insane. So I had a little more pressure to win. But I, I think people don't realize how tough you are, Patty. Because I've seen you beat up guys like absolutely just start the lawnmower the left hand's going and it's just like after four or five punches it's over I don't think people realize how tough you are because you have this reputation as a guy who's like oh he's a turtler he's this and that well yeah you're gonna turtle if Colt Nord jumps you but if you fight a guy your size I'm taking you every time makes sense you mentioned your 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 style of play in Sudbury usually guys who I've played with who are the pests that I played with like the Cal Clutter Bucks the Steve Otts those guys the Patrick Clutters, they were the the point getters in the OHL people don't think that but like Steve Ott put up a hundred some points Cal Clutter but like 80 goals in the OHL you have been the same type of player everywhere you've gone You've never put up insane amounts of points, but you've always been a hard worker um, done everything right always been a leader on your team how does that translate? Because most times it doesn't translate. You get to the NHL, you get to the AHL, and your skill doesn't match up at the next level. You know, mm-hmm. you're a hard worker, great, but so was that guy who scored 50 goals in the O. How did you manage to keep up going from Sudbury to Laval? Because that's a big jump. It really is. Yeah. So um, in, in Sudbury, like, uh, I always got along with everybody, and I always had good relationships with the coaches and everything like that, but I always just fit a role. Like, I was always that third-line checker, and shut down, like try to play shut down anyways. It's tough when your team's losing as many games as you are. But um, I just played that third line role. I'd play some PK, never got on the power play kind of thing. And then my last year in Sudbury, um, the coach just gave me a chance. We got a new coach, Corey Stillman, and, and he sat me down before the season. He's like, look, like I know you can play. like, And I know like maybe you can show more than what you are. So I think that year he just threw me on the first line and, and I just ran with it. And I, I took off and my numbers were a lot better my, my fourth year. So after that, I felt pretty like 
confident in, in myself. And I knew that coming to pro, I'd, I'd be battling for, for a position again and kind of starting from the bottom. But it's almost like I knew what to expect because I'd been there. Like a lot of these guys coming out of junior and stuff, they're used to playing 25 minutes a night on the first line. Like they hadn't gone through that adversity yet. So for me, it's like when I jumped up, like I knew I might not be playing that many minutes, but like I knew how to adapt to that. Same as like now coming in NHL, it's like I've gone and played those games where you're playing six minutes a night and it's hard to get in the game. And like I figured it out when I was younger that it's like every shift counts. Like you can't – like it's just a lot – it's a different mentality. Like you can't sit there. Like I've sat on the bench and sat there and worried like, hey, like fuck, like – I'm sorry. Um, why, it's my bad. Uh, like uh, shoot, like why am I not out there? Um, like yeah, you want to be a part of the game. You want to be involved, but your shifts are – 15 minutes apart or you maybe don't even get on that that period and then all of a sudden you're playing all the time so it's just like it's how to adapt and I figured I adapted to that early and now it's like you can adjust to it more and I'm ready for that I've never thought of it that way that's really really smart that's that's really good you don't realize how hard it is to sit around and not play and to mentally wrap your head around not being the best player on the team or in another lineup or potentially not getting a shift for minutes and minutes at a time that's that's a skill that people actually don't don't usually have have you seen that because you've made the transition you went it, it's they're big jumps like you're in the nhl this is not like you know men's league you went from the ohl you went to the ahl you went to the nhl do you see guys get passed over? Cause I know I did going from the A to the NHL, dozens of guys who were way more skilled than I, do you just like look at them and go, man, I wish you had a little bit of, I don't know, you throw in shade, like a work ethic, you know, a little yeah. bit of backbone. I remember, I remember this story when I was in junior and um, I don't know, we were just talking to him with the guys and this one guy looks at me and he says, he's like, Oh, I wish like all I had to do was, was work on my hands. And like, that's what would get me to the next level. And like, I didn't say anything at the time, but in my head, I thought, I wish all I had to do was, was work hard. And, and that, that's what would push me to the next level. Like little does he know, like I'm sitting in, in my backyard, shooting three, 400 bucks a day, stick handling every single day on top of my workouts on top of my skates. Right. So it's just like, you don't know the situation. And a lot of those guys, it's like, all you got to do is work hard and like be willing to play a specific role. Like I know it's not easy and it's hard on your body. It's hard on things, but it's like, that's how you got to get your foot in the door. Right. Like, I understand you have a lot of skill, but right now all they can afford to give you is seven minutes on the fourth line. It's like now if it's between me and you and I, I can play these seven minutes on the fourth line better than you can. Right. Cause it's like, yes, like you need to be skilled. You need to be able to play, but it's just like that seven minutes needs to be played a certain way. And if you're not able to do that, that's going to push you ahead of all those guys that maybe if you're playing on the first line, they might put up more points than you would, but that seven minutes that you're playing on the fourth line, like I know I can do a better job than, than most people doing that. So to me, it's like, how can I be the best player at that? And then you get your foot in the door. And like every summer I'm working, I'm working, I'm working so that maybe one day if, if they put me up to third line, it's like, Hey, look, I can play here. Or like I have the skills to, to be ready to, to, to make a jump, to play more minutes, but you got to get your foot in the door somehow. And you can't bitch and moan about not getting your opportunities. When they come, you have to take advantage of them. That's, that's a, another huge aspect is a mental to be able to humble yourself and be like, you know what? Ugh, I'm not a first line guy just yet. So maybe I have to work at it. I'm happy with the fourth line role right now, but I'll get my chance. And not, a lot of guys can't handle it. They honestly can't. You're listening to dropping the gloves with former NHL all-star John Scott, a member of the nation network of podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. 
So these next couple of clips are a little bit more on the serious side. Uh, first, I'm going to play David Backus, who, just for context, we interviewed him pretty much right after he retired and asked him about switching from um, St. Louis to Boston and how that adjustment went, how the culture was different. And it's really interesting to hear the changes that he felt needed to be made and how we addressed that. And listen to him talk, because he sounds like, like a business executive or a CEO, like his approach his organization, um, the way he's able to, you know, detect certain things among the, the teammates and the culture and all that. And so really, really smart guy, really interesting hearing his approach to that. The next one is Ryan Miller. Uh, again, we got him right after he retired. And I asked him a question about looking back on, you know, how good some of those Sabres teams were, and they never really seemed to make a, a deep playoff run. And he talked, well, it's really good. I'll let it speak for itself. He gets really open and honest, kind of vulnerable even, um, so that was a really good clip. And then just to keep things light, I'm going to play a third one. This is Brian McGratton, who was obviously a, a big-time legendary enforcer in the league for many years. We asked his story about um, one of the, the famous line brawl between the Canucks and the Flames. Uh, go back and watch the video. It's really, really cool. One of the better you know line brawls in, in years. And got his the whole story of how it happened, why it happened, what they were saying, um, yeah, it's really, really neat. And then obviously it led to that little scuffle between him and Tortorella in the, in the hallway there that was caught on camera. So really cool to get that kind of insight. So I'm going to play these three in a row and I'll be back in a few minutes. So you get to Boston, and obviously this is the first time you're playing for an NHL team besides St. Louis. What were some of the differences that struck you right away as far as, like, the culture, the locker room, the personalities? Like, how is it different from St. Louis? Yeah, the you know, I kind of sold it to my wife that, hey, it's an original six, it's big market, it's going to be, you know, I don't know if I expected Toronto, but it was going to be, uh, you know, kind of these are the big boys of the league, and we're coming from the small market St. Louis and all of a sudden it's going to be everything, you know, top notch. And, you know, we got there and in, in honesty, when I was in the room, I was waiting for that special sauce to show up to be like, this is why Boston sucks to play against. And this is why they're good every year. And this is why they've been to two cup finals, you know, and one and, and I just didn't see it. And then you start talking with some of the leadership and, not that it was dysfunctional, but it wasn't organized. And type A me was like, well, here's some simple things and we need to have some connection here. And um, it wasn't awful, but it, it with small amounts of organization, it was in, greatly improved. And then, uh, you know, we talked about the sports psychologist, Patrice Bergeron has his own sports psychologist, and he brought him in to do a small meeting with just the leadership group. And then after that, probably bi-weekly, he was in facilitating team discussion and common, um, you know, some psychological principles, but just team open communication and connection, which went so far. And Bergie's one of the most humble down to earth. You know, if, if you could clone a perfect human and hockey player it's patrice bergeron and what a great place to start and him and z and, and the core that they had now had some structure and connection and stanley cup final 
you know, a couple of years later and, you know, we lost to Tampa my second year there. And then we're in the final in my third year and, um, you know, they're knocking on the door and looking at uh, pres- president cups and or president's trophies or whatever they call it. Never had one. So I don't know the name of it. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> so did you institute all that stuff? Were you the guy, like, did you feel comfortable enough in your, because it's intimidating going into a new locker room. I've done it a few times. Even when you're established, you don't want to, you know, rock the boat. They're they're a successful team. Did you dip a toe in or did you just jump in and be like, what you guys are doing, this is garbage? Well, there, wasn't, this way really, now. there wasn't really garbage. It was well, just – I know, I know. And you know how it is. Like some teams, like you walk into the locker room and it's like, nobody's like reaching out to you or grabbing you aside. And you're just kind of like, I'm going to do my thing and I'm going to get some equity in this room. And then I can start to have a voice because you got to establish yourself or whatever the, you know, the old way was like game one, I'm going to fight somebody and like all the boys that I'm here and I'm, I'm in it. Um, Z pulled me aside maybe day one or day two and said, Hey, you know, I respect you as a leader and we haven't made the playoffs here in two years. And if you see something that needs to be done, like you're, you know, tell me, let's get it done. We're in this together. And to me, that was an incredible moment for me to just be like, okay, you know, they want me here to be part of this group and and not to hold back. And, um, you know, from then I felt empowered to be like, this could be done better. This could be done better. This could be done better. And those guys with open arms, you know, relished it. And we were just got better and better after that. So you actually, did you actually like see that transformation happen in your time there where what you were trying to implement was, was working? No question. I think again, I am very like, I make spreadsheets for everything. Like I keep lists and I'm intentional and, calendars and organizers and like that's just my personality so it's almost secretary work that needed to be done and being like we should meet as a leadership group on our own like every week or two and we should have like separate roles where if if we don't have specific roles of like to me one of the more important ones was like off ice captain of like team togetherness team parties organizer like we it shouldn't be the week before Halloween and we don't have a team Halloween party scheduled. Mm -hmm. Like we got a night off, we're having a team Halloween party. And even if we're a little groggy for the next game, that togetherness we gained in that, that team Halloween party, like every team wins the game after rookie party, because you all had the best time of your season together. You had such team togetherness and you look at each other and you're like, we got to get this done somehow. And you go and get it done. I mean, you guys had some amazing talent during those years. You know, you got names like Drury, Vanek, Briere, Finneganov, Brian Campbell. Looking back now, did you guys did you expect to go on more playoff runs than you ended up doing? Oh yeah, I mean, of course. I mean, when you when you have success, you never think it's going to stop. I remember walking out of Carolina when we lost in Game Seven, just thinking, the next time we walk into a rink in this situation, we're going to win, and. You know, those chances aren't as frequent as you, you think when you catch that right kind of team, when you have that right kind of group. And that's what was really sad about that situation was, you know, we had two cracks at it and then Drury and Breer are gone. And then a few other guys are gone. Brian Campbell's gone. It just started, you know, peeling away 
we and we we built it back up in 2010. We had a good year, and we we would have these moments where we'd get close. We get, but you know that that special flame or whatever it is that you feel with a certain kind of group. It it never quite got back to that level, and that's the sad part uh, because we all knew it was there, and we I kind of felt like it just we didn't recognize how important it was to keep the guys who made that uh, special. All right, one more hockey one, then we'll transition. But the the thing with Tortorella, Columbus Blue Jackets, what happened with that? I I uh, was in the south, so I didn't I didn't see the game or anything. What was going on? It, uh, so we were on like an eight game losing streak and, uh, we were in San Jose the game before and our line had a goal and an assist and we got to Vancouver. We didn't, we didn't practice cause we played whatever. We didn't have a morning skate we got to the rink and, uh, Bob called the fourth line in. And he's like, listen, you guys had a good game the other night. You're the only line that hasn't quit here in the last couple of games. Um, you haven't started the game all year. And uh, I'm going to start you guys tonight. I think you deserve to start. And uh, he just left it at that. We left that little coaching room in Vancouver in the back room there, and I just got the guys together. I'm like, listen, boys, they start their fourth line. Let's just fight them. Who else was but, on your line? It was me, Kevin Westgarth, Blair Jones, oh. uh, Chris Butler. I forget who the other D was, but there were like two D that didn't fight. And uh, I said, let's just fight them. Who cares? If we lost nine, who cares if we lose 10? We're not <laughs> so we all kind of went through who we were going to fight and we picked out. I'm like, oh, my boys know who I got. And then we're like, they called this big kid up from the minors on van. I'm like, Westy, you get him. Blair Jones, I'm a Jonesy, you fight Dale Weiss, and then the D can fight each other, and the goalies want to fight, you guys can go. So we kind of planned on how we were going to do it. And then I didn't know that kid was a centerman, right? So <laughs> Kevin Westgarth goes to take the draw. He's never taken a draw. He's, like, he's holding his stick like a golf club, and the um, the ref didn't know what to do. Like, the ref didn't know how to drop the puck, where he was in, because then he had Biatska coming in and out of the draw, to fight and it's weird because me and Bieska grew up together since we were like eight years old they're like mm. really good friends right <laughs> and Bieska's coming in um in and out of the draw i don't know if we wanted to fight west here was trying to break out anyways rough drops of puck full on five on five brawl we all go to the box and everybody gets kicked out but me because i technically my gloves hit the ice first so i was the first fight and everybody <laughs> no kidding. was that's funny. fight right so the other uh the other four guys per team got kicked out but me and Sestito. and um anyways the period ends i don't think anything of it nothing shane O'Brien, i'll never forget it. shane o'brien was in front of me he walked in the room first and then the coaches walked in between us in the room and then i got nudged and I'm like, what the hell? I look down, it's Torts. He's like, fuck you, Bob. I'm going to kill you. You're dead. I'm going to kill you, Bob. <laughs> and I was like, and it was like right in the doorway. And, you know, I just stiff-armed him out on the hallway. But you can't really see it. The glove dryers were there, right? So I kept pressing them into the, the glove dryers. And he was snapping. Nobody had a clue that that camera was there because I guess 
they only put that camera there for Hockey Night in Canada. So if that wasn't Hockey Night in Canada, that wouldn't there would have been no footage of the hallway stuff. Because when I had him pinned straight out, right, I'm like, his question comes like, should I hit him? Like, should I just drop him? And uh, I kind of peeked down both hallways for a camera that would be maybe hanging yeah. halfway. And we nobody had any idea that it was that roof camera that caught everything. If it was like a Wednesday night game, there's no way that would have. Uh, I think you would have been fine popping them with a left or something. I yeah, it was. I gave a couple really good stiff, like really good straight arms. That would have. <laughs> you would have been the hero for so many people. <laughs> <laughs> if I that, just started dummy in courts. That guy bag skated me for so many months. I could not stand him. I would have loved where, it. Where where'd you have him? With the uh, the Rangers. Oh, in New York, yeah, yeah. Which is funny because he's like Mr. When I was in New York, he started our fourth line to fight the Devils, the line brawl. So I don't yeah. know why he would be so worked up about that. He yeah. loves fighters. I don't get it. Because he said in the, you know, in the post-game presser, he's like, you know, I can't have my guys in my torts. Do you think I would ever jump Daniel or Henrik Sedin? Like, come on, man. Nobody nope. jumps skill guys. <laughs> no way. We would have whatever had our shift went off the bench and then fought your guys in the third shift of the game instead of the first. It was coming. Whatever yeah. shift we, we would have went out against them, we, was, we were fighting them. What did you think when I jumped Kessel? Yeah, I don't <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we are getting toward the end here. I'm going to play just a couple quick ones right now. The first one is Ryan Reeves talking about uh, his history with the Vander Kane. The animosity, how it started, where it started, why it keeps going, um, and some of the backstory there. And then the, short, the next one is super short. It's a clip from our first interview with Moritz or Mo Sider, who we interviewed last summer before he made his rookie debut. And no one really knew who he was, unless you were a Red Wings fan. He was picked sixth overall by um, uh, Eisenman in the Red Wings, where he was you know, projected to go way later than that. And it was a risky pick. Eisenman's first first round pick as general manager for the Wings, uh, young kid out of Germany. That maybe there wasn't as much of a full scouting report on him just because he didn't play in some of the, the bigger European leagues. And Eisenman saw something he liked, obviously. And then you know, fast forward, Sider is a monster. Has a huge rookie year. Puts up points. He's throwing the body. He's he's standing up for his teammates. Drop the gloves. He does everything. Super skilled. Skates like the wind. And so Eisenman was totally right. But at the time, no one knew that, right? And so, but Moritz Mo is definitely confident. Listen to his quiet confidence. He doesn't want to be compared to other people. He wants to be himself. I really like that about him. And so, yeah, I'm going to play that one, and then we'll come back for the, the last and final clip next. Oh, okay, let's talk about Kaner, Evander. How did that whole thing start? Because you guys, I, I just figured you play a similar type of game. You guys, I just... I thought you would be buddies or at least respect each other. How does that come about where you guys literally just hate each other? You know, it was like every time we played, he was one of those guys that always says, you know, I would beat the, sh I would beat the crap out of you. He would. Right? It, it, you know, and it was, it was always. Like when he was in Buffalo, you know, he would do something. He'd run somebody and I'd go after him. He was like, you know, I'd beat the blocks off you, blah, blah, blah. And he, and he would just always say it. And I was like, okay, well, do something about it then. Yeah. But it was, it was almost, well, what have we been now? 10 years? It's been, it was nine years of not doing anything. And, you know, 
at some point you're going to have to back it up. Like you can't just talk all that and, and not back it up at some point. You know yeah. what I mean? A lot of bark. And for, and for him, he was just one of those guys that never back. He refused to back it up, refused to drop the gloves just one time. And it just, it just turned into a hatred. Like I just, I got no respect for guys who, who say they're tougher than you and then just won't do anything about it. 100% agree. That's why I had an issue with Tom Cicito because he would always talk a big game. He'd be like, ah, oh, buddy, I would knock you out. I'm like, well, I'm right here. Like, yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think it's, uh, I mean, every player is pretty unique, I would say, and that's what I want to describe myself. I want don't want to compare myself to anyone else. I want to be I want to be Moritz and, and want to play my game. And um I think a mobile two-way defenseman who, who loves uh, joining the rush, a great offense for his teammates, but is not afraid to use his body as an advantage. And um, I think that's, uh, yeah, that's what it comes down to. I, uh, first priority as a D is uh, you got to play a shutdown game if you have to, and all the other all the other compartments are, are, are coming from time to time. And um that's what I'm most concerned about is making it into the NHL, playing a really solid defensive game, I would say. Okay, we have arrived at the end here. I have just one more clip to play for you guys. Hopefully you've enjoyed it. Hopefully you've had as much fun listening as I did making this. Um, we're going to wrap up a little bit on the heavier side, a little bit emotional even. We asked Brian Boyle, who is a cancer survivor, whose son has had some really heavy stuff he's gone through the, the whole family history is just they've been through a lot and through it all he's known as one of the nicest most well-spoken most down-to-earth guys in the in the nhl he made a comeback after you know missing some time with when he was sick and just uh just a terrific guy played at boston college we asked him about his faith and and being a catholic because he's something that he's pretty outspoken about and when you hear his answer, it's just amazing. He's, he totally opens up. Um, you can hear how heartfelt and how much it means to him and how it shaped who he was over the years, on the ice, off the ice, and what his family's been through. So I'm going to let this run, and then we'll, we'll wrap up there. So, again, thank you for listening. We'll see you soon, and here's Brian Boyle. I'm, I'm a Catholic guy. I, I love my church. Um, I, I'm big into it, and you're a Catholic guy. So I just wanted to know what – like. A, how much that plays in your your hockey, and then B, how much it plays in just your life in general and how it kind of molds you as a man. I just think it's interesting when I talk to Catholic athletes, how it either helps them or hinders them on the ice. Yeah, well, it's, uh, you know, from uh, as long as I can remember, I've loved, I love the game and I can't remember not loving the game and I can't remember not having the Catholic faith in my life because of what my parents how they've raised all of us. And I was always taught that this is a gift that I've been given by God and I have to do my best with it, whatever you can do. So whether that equates to success or not, it's, it's more like use your gifts to glorify them, not for selfish reasons, but mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's what my parents have taught me. My parents are, you know, I'm one of 13 kids. I, they have, by the grace of God, been able to give us all that they've given us, which I have no idea how the math doesn't really work out uh, in terms of how much they would have to earn just to let us do what we're doing and, and what they sacrificed for us getting married at, you know, 19 years old and their whole lives have been dedicated to the faith and to their kids. 
that's the example that I have every day of my life. And I've seen it. I've seen miracles happen right in front of my eyes with my father. He was very sick when I was in high school and he was healed uh, miraculously. I've seen uh, obviously a number of other things happen with my son, even with his uh, situation that he has now, he's got something called an AVM in his jaw that uh, several doctors before he was diagnosed came in. We had the people from Dana Farber telling us that he's got Ewing sarcoma and we're planning out the next six months of his life. And my wife and I are literally on our knees at the children's hospital in Boston trying to pray it away. And and we believe that that was um, definitely a miracle that it was not what they, all those experts, those brilliant people told us it was. And I just think that it's there for us to see. It is uh, an incredible gift to me that I get to have this faith. I have so many great examples of people living in the faith. And I'm so fortunate with all the things that I've been blessed with. And it doesn't come without hardships, but I think it prepares you for them. And and asking you shall receive because I've, I've been down and out and very, very much scared and and alone especially with my, what was going on with my son especially what was going on with me about a month prior to that i was diagnosed with leukemia um and it was just a crazy time but and then in, in high school a real formative year like my dad's my hero and he was whittling away to nothing in front of my eyes and i'm 14 years old he's got a two-year-old son at the time like all, all my younger siblings like are, are sitting there i'm like I'm I'm nervous for this. What the hell are they going to do? They're not going to remember my dad. And mm-hmm. you know he's he's still money. He's got uh, got a lot of energy. He's a ton of fun. And I've just I've seen these miracles happen. I've seen these things happen. The faith has been so important to me. Um, when the puck drops, I will. I mean, I do say things that I probably have to go to confession about and done some things that. But it's all just. That's my, that's my dog. That's my dog. <laughs> that's all right. Uh, but but yeah, but I mean it's, it's Gordy. All the mailman came. Um it's just been it's just been so it's just been uh it's so impactful to me just that 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 that, that example and um you know I'm just I'm I'm proud to be a Catholic. I think it's yeah. it's uh it's it's what I lean on. That's amazing. Amen, man. That's amazing. I was like, woof, you have quite the story. Oh, very emotional. I love that. I wish we could talk about that for hours. Tim, do you yeah, have anything well, after that? Holy moly. Yeah, no, I'm not going to. No, I love that, buddy. Well, I um, I don't want to take up any more of your time. Go uh, take care of your dog and give your family a hug for me and tell them I said hi. I've only met your wife a handful of times, but she's a great woman and uh yeah good luck in the playoffs bro and uh we'll talk soon thanks john i appreciate it man that was, that was a lot of fun that was that fun brother i love it man we'll talk again this was so good yeah thank you buddy thank you so much all right see thanks, you later Tim. later brian thank all right you guys see ya john Scott, the All-Star.